Chapter Twenty of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Light Many Waters. Chapter Twenty: Miss Walton Made of Ordinary Clay. When Gregory awoke, the sun had sunk behind the mountains that he could not even look toward now without a shudder, and the landscape, as seen from the window, was growing obscure in the early dusk of an autumn evening but had the window opened on a vista in paradise he would not have looked without for the one object of all the world most attractive to him was present annie sat near the hearth with some light crochet work in her hands she had evidently been out for a walk for she was drying her feet on the fender how trim and cunning they looked peeping from under the white edge of her skirt and what a pretty picture she made sitting there in the firelight the outline of her figure surely did not suggest the ethereal heroine but rather the presiding genius in a happy home in which the element of comfort abounded she looked as if she would be a sweet-tempered helpful companion in the everyday cares and duties of a busy life a creature not too bright or good for human nature's daily food how dark and lustrous her eyes are in the firelight gregory thought it seems as if another and more genial fire were burning in them what can she be thinking of that such happy dreamy smiles are flitting across her face if i had such a hearth as that and such a good angel beside it to receive me after the day's work was over i believe i could become at least a man if not a christian and he sighed so deeply that annie looked hastily up and encountered his wistful gaze what a profound remark you just made she said what could have led to it you i do not think that i am an object to sigh over i am perfectly well i thank you and have had my dinner you have no idea what a pretty picture you made yes in this poor light and your disordered imagination but did you sigh on that account no but because to me it is only a picture one that shall have the chief place in the gallery of my memory in a few days i shall be in my cheerless bachelor apartments with nothing but a dusty register in the place of this home-like hearth come mr gregory you are growing sentimental i will go and see if supper is ready please stay and i will talk of the multiplication table no that led to the nebular hypothesis you had better prepare for supper and she vanished it's my fate he said rising to drive away every good and pleasant thing he went to the fire and stood where she had sat and again thought was busy she seemed so real and substantial and yet so intangible her defensive armor is perfect and i cannot get near or touch her unless she permits it the sincerest compliment glances off out of her kindness she helps me and does me good she bewitches and sways me by her spells but i might as well seek to imprison a spirit of the air as to gain any hold upon her i wonder who or what she was thinking of that such dreamy tender smiles should flit across her face how his face would have darkened with wrath and hate if he had known that his detestation hunting had inspired them the tea-bell reminded him how time was passing and he went to his room with an elastic step that one would suppose impossible after seeing him in the morning but as is usual with nervous organizations he sank or rallied rapidly in accordance with circumstances when he appeared at the table mr walton could hardly believe his eyes it is again the result of miss walton's witchcraft explained gregory the moment i felt her hand upon my brow there came a sense of relief 
in italy they would make a saint of her and bring out the sick for her to touch and so soon lose their saint by some contagious disease said annie laughing i fear sir i was very rude to you this morning but in truth i was beside myself with pain annie has a wonderful power of magnetism i don't know what else to call it said miss eulie she can drive away one of my headaches quicker than all other remedies combined you are making out said annie that my proper calling is that of a nurse if you don't change the subject i'll leave you all to take care of yourselves and go down to bellevue if you do laughed gregory i'll break every bone in my body and be carried into your ward as a homeless stranger the supper hour passed away in light and cheerful conversation as if by common consent the scenes of the mountain were not mentioned in the presence of the children and they evidently had had their curiosity satisfied on the subject annie seemed tired and languid after supper and miss eulie volunteered to see the children safely to their rest mr walton insisted that annie should take his easy-chair and gregory placed a footstool at her feet and together they made a baby of her she said the old gentleman then took his seat and seemed to find unbounded content in gazing on his beloved daughter their guest appeared restless and began to pace the room suddenly he asked mr walton have you heard anything of the fugitives not a word beyond the fact that they bought tickets for new york and took the train i have telegraphed to the city police department and forwarded the description of their persons which annie gave me their dwelling has been examined by a competent person but evidently he is an old and experienced criminal and knows how to cover up his tracts i think it extremely providential that they did nothing worse than send you over on the other side of the mountain in order to clear away for escape such desperate people often believe only in the silence of death they might have caused that dog to tear you to pieces and have appeared blameless themselves if caught only your testimony could convict them though i suspect mrs tompkins and her son young tompkins brought them with their luggage to the depot he says the man called vite met him returning from the delivery of a load of wood and engaged his services as he often does teaming for people in those back districts his story is plausible and he swears he knew nothing against the man but he is a bad drinking fellow and just the one to become an accomplice in any rascality i fear they will all escape us and yet i am profoundly grateful that matters are no worse while mr walton was talking gregory was looking intently at annie she was conscious of his scrutiny and her color rose under it but she continued to gaze steadily at the fire and i am going to increase that gratitude a hundredfold sir he said earnestly annie looked up at him with a startled deprecatory air no miss walton he said answering her look i will not be silent while it is due to your generosity that the world does not hear of your heroism as the story would naturally be told it is your father's right that he should hear it and know the priceless jewel that he has in his daughter i know that the appearances will be against me if you can take her view of the matter sir i shall be glad otherwise i cannot help it and he related the events as they had actually occurred softening or palliating his course in not the slightest degree mr walton turned ashen pale as he thus for the first time learned the desperate nature of his daughter's peril then rising with a sudden impulse of pride and affection he clasped her in his arms gregory was about to leave the room when mr walton's voice detained him do not go sir you will pardon a father's weakness father i give you my word and honor cried annie eagerly that mr gregory did not act the part of a coward 
He scarcely does himself justice in this story. He did not realize the principle involved, and saw the promise he gave the readiest way out of an awkward and dangerous predicament. He did not think the man's crime was any of our business. "'There is no need of pleading Mr. Gregory's cause so earnestly, my dear,' interrupted her father. "'I think I understand his course fully, and share your view of it. I am too well accustomed to the taking of evidence not to detect the ring of truth.' I cannot tell you, sir, what a relief it is to me that you and Miss Walton can judge thus correctly of my action. This morning and yesterday I believed that you and all the world would regard me as the meanest of cowards, and the bitterness of death was in the thought. No, sir, said Mr. Walton, kindly but gravely, your course did not result from cowardice, but permit an old man and your father's friend to say that it did result from the lack of high moral principle. Its want in this case might have been fatal, for the world, as you feared, would scarcely do you justice. Let it be a lesson to you, my dear young friend, that only the course which is strictly right is safe, even as far as this world is concerned. Gregory's face flushed deeply, but he bowed his head in humility at the rebuke. At the same time, continued Mr. Walton, it was manly in you to state the case frankly to me as you have done for you knew that you might shield yourself behind Annie's silence. It was simply your right to know it, said Gregory in a low tone. After a few moments of musing silence, Annie said earnestly, I do so pity that poor woman. I imagine she is little better than her companion, said Mr. Walton. Indeed, she is, father, said Annie eagerly. I cannot tell you how I feel for her, and I know from her manner and words that her guilty life is a crushing burden. It must be a terrible thing to a woman capable of good as she is, and wishing to live a true life, to be irrevocably bound to a man utterly bad. She is not so bound to him, said her father. Can she not leave him? Ah, there comes in a mystery, she replied, and the subject dropped. Soon after they separated for the night. But Gregory had much food for painful thought. After the experience of that day, his chief desire was to stand well in Miss Walton's esteem. And yet, how did he stand? How could he stand, being what he was? He was not conscious of love for her as yet. He would have been satisfied if she had said, I will be your friend in the truest sense of the word. He had no small vanity and understood her kindness. She was trying to do good to him as she would to anyone else. She was sorry for him as for the wretched woman who also found an evil life bitter, but she could never think of him as a dear, congenial, trusted friend. Even her father in her presence had rebuked his lack of principle, asserting that his nature was like the vile weed, and this had been proved every day of his visit. If she should come to know of his purpose and effort to tempt her into the display of petty weakness and lack of principle herself, would she not regard him as utterly bad? and shrink with loathing even from the bonds of friendship he was learning the lesson that wrong sooner or later will bring its own punishment and that the little experiment upon which he had entered as a relief from ennui might become the impassable gulf between him and happiness for he knew that if their relations ever verged toward mutual confidence she would ask questions that would render lies his only escape he could not sink to that resort it was late before he found in sleep refuge from painful thoughts. The next day he was much alone. The news of their adventure having got abroad, many, because of their sincere regard for Annie, and not a few out of curiosity, called to talk the matter over. After meeting one or two of these parties, 
and witnessing the modesty and grace with which annie satisfied and foiled their curiosity at the same time he was glad to escape further company in a long and solitary ramble the air was mild so that he could take rest in sunny nooks and thus he spent most of the day by himself his conscience was awakened and the more pure and beautiful annie's character grew in his estimation the more dastardly his attempt upon it seemed never before had his evil life appeared so hideous and hateful and yet his remorse had nothing in it of true penitence it was rather a bitter impotent revolt at what he regarded as cruel necessity now that he had been forced to abandon his theory that people are good as they are untempted he adopted another which if it left him in a miserable predicament exonerated him from blame he had stated it to annie when he had said you are made of different clay from other people he tried hard to believe this and partially succeeded it is her nature to be good and mine to be evil he often said to himself that long and lonely day i have had a fatal gravitation toward evil ever since i can remember but this was not true indeed it could be proved out of his own memory that he had had as many good and noble impulses as the majority and that circumstances had not been more adverse to him than to numerous others he was dimly conscious of these facts though he tried to shut his eyes to them a man finally gets justice at the bar of his own conscience but it is exhorted gradually reluctantly with much befogging of the case still this theory would not help him much with annie walton for he knew that she would never entertain it a moment thus he wandered for hours amid old scenes and boyish haunts utterly oblivious of them brooding more and more darkly and despondingly over his miserable lot he tried to throw off the burden of depressing thought by asking in sudden fierceness well what is annie walton to me i have only known her a short time and have lived thus long can live the rest of my days probably few without her but it was of no use his heart would not echo the words but in its very depths a voice clear and distinct seemed to say i want to be with her to be near her with her the hours are winged away they are leaden-footed she awakens hope she makes it appear possible to be a man he remembered her hand upon his aching brow and groaned aloud in view of the gulf that his own life had placed between them neither can they pass to us he said unconsciously repeating the words of scripture with her nature what i know it to be she cannot in any way ally it to mine as the shadows of evening deepened he sauntered wearily and despondingly to the house there were still guests in the parlor and he passed up to his room for the first time he found it chilly and fireless it had evidently been forgotten and he felt himself neglected and it seemed that he could drop out of existence unnoted and uncared for in what had been his own home the place where for so many years he had experienced the most thoughtful tenderness there came over him a sense of loneliness and desolation such as he had never before known or believed possible he felt himself orphaned of heaven and earth of god and man but a process had commenced in annie's mind that would have surprised him much unconsciously as yet even to herself she was disproving his superior clay theory though carefully trained and though for years she had prayerfully sought to do right still she was a true daughter of eve and was often betrayed by human weakness she had not the small habitual vanity of some pretty women who take admiration and flattery as their due and miss it as they do their meals 
Still, there were pride and vanity in her composition, and the causes that would naturally develop them were now actively at work. She considered herself plain and unattractive personally, and so she was to the careless glance of a stranger, but she speedily became beautiful, or, what was better, fascinating to those who learned to know her well. All are apt to learn their strong points rather than their weak ones, and Annie had no little confidence in her power to win the attention, and then the respect and regard of those whose eyes turned away indifferently after the first perception of her lack of beauty. She did not use this power like a coquette, but still she exulted in it, and was pleased to employ it where she could innocently. She was amused by Gregory's sublime indifference at first, and thought she could soon change that condition of his mind. She did not know that she was successful beyond her expectation or wishes. But while she rejected and was not affected by the fulsome flattery with which he at first plied her, detecting in it the ring of insincerity, she had noted, with not a little self-gratulation, how speedily she had made him conscious of her existence and developed a growing interest. She knew nothing of his deliberate plot against her or of its motive. Therefore his manner had often puzzled her, but she explained everything by saying, He has lived too long in Paris. Still, it is justice to her to say that while, from the natural love of power existing in every breast, she had her own little complacencies, and often times of positive pride and self-glorification, yet she struggled against such tendencies, and in the main she earnestly sought to use for their own good the influence she gained over others. But of late there had been enough to turn a stronger head than hers. Gregory's homage and admiration were now sincere, and she knew it, and it was no trifling thing to win such unbounded esteem from a man who had seen so much of the world and was so critical. He may be bad himself, but he well knows what is good and noble, was a thought that often recurred to her. Then, in a moment of sudden and terrible peril, she had been able to master her strong natural timidity and be true to conscience. While she thanked God sincerely, she also was more and more inclined to take a great deal of credit to herself. Gregory's words kept repeating themselves, You are made of different clay from others. While she knew that this was not true as he meant it, still the tempter whispered, You are naturally superior, and you have so schooled yourself that you are better than many others. Her father's intense look of pride and pleasure when he first learned of her fortitude, and his strong words of thankfulness, she took as incense to herself. Then came a flock of eager, curious, sympathizing people, who continued to feed her aroused pride by making her out a sort of heroine. Chief of all, she was complacent in the consciousness of so generously shielding Gregory when, if she had told the whole story, she, in contrast with him, would appear to far greater advantage. Altogether, her opinion of Annie Walton was rising with dangerous rapidity, and the feeling grew strong within her that, having coped successfully with such temptations, she had little to fear from the future and this feeling of overweening self-confidence and self-satisfaction was beginning to tinge her manner. Not that she would ever show it offensively, for she was too much of a lady for that, but at the supper-table that evening she gave evident signs of elation and excitement. She talked more than usual, and was often very positive in matters where Gregory knew her to be wrong, and she was also a little dictatorial. At the same time the excitement made her conversation more brilliant and pointed, and as Gregory skilfully drew her out, he was surprised at the force and freshness of her mind. And yet there was something that jarred unpleasantly, 
a lack of the sincere simplicity and self-forgetfulness which were her usual characteristics he had never known her to use the pronoun i with such distinctness and emphasis before still all this would not have seemed strange to him in another but it did in her she did not notice the cloud upon his brow or that he spoke only in order to lead her to talk she was too much preoccupied with herself for her customary quick sympathy with the moods of others she made no inquiries as to how he had spent the day and seemingly had forgotten him as completely as he had been absorbed in her he saw with a deeper regret than he could understand that except when he wakened her pity by suffering or entertained her by his conversation as any stranger might he apparently had no hold upon her thoughts after supper in answer to the children's demand for stories she said almost petulantly that she was too tired and permitted aunt eulie to take them with sorrowful faces away to bed earlier than usual i need a little rest and quiet she said gregory was eager for further conversation in order that he might obtain some idea how mercy would tinge her judgment of him if she should ever come to know the worst but she suddenly seemed disinclined to talk or give him any attention at all taking the armchair he usually occupied and leaving the other for her father she leaned back luxuriously and gazed dreamily into the fire mr walton politely offered gregory his then annie suddenly as if awakening rose and said excuse me and was about to vacate her seat but gregory insisted upon her keeping it saying you need it more than i after the unusual fatigues of the day i am no longer an invalid even the ache in my bones from my cold has quite disappeared she readily yielded to his wish and again appeared to see something in the fire that quite absorbed her after receiving a few courteous monosyllables he apparently busied himself with a magazine suddenly she said to her father are you sure the steamer is due to-day he replied with a nod and a smile that gregory did not understand and he imagined that she also gave him a quick look of vexed perplexity she did for by that steamer she expected her lover mr hunting who had been abroad on a brief business visit and she hoped that in a day or two he would make his appearance conscious of the bitter enmity that gregory for some unknown reason cherished toward him she dreaded their meeting as gregory watched her furtively her brow contracted into a positive frown the following thoughts were the cause it will be exceedingly stiff and awkward to have two guests in the house who are scarcely on speaking terms and unless i can make something like peace it will be unendurable moreover i don't want any strangers around much less this one while charles is here thus in the secret of her soul annie's hospitality gave out utterly and in spirit she had incontinently turned an unwelcome guest out of doors now that she had really won a vantage ground that could be used effectively all her christian and kindly purposes were forgotten in the self-absorption that had suddenly mastered her the evening was a painful one to gregory his sense of loneliness was deepened and nowhere is such a feeling stronger than at a fireside where one feels that he has no right mr walton was occupied that evening with some business papers he had not a thought of discourtesy toward his guest indeed in the perfection of hospitality he had adopted gregory so completely into his household that he felt that he could treat him as one of the family and yet mr walton was also secretly uneasy at the prospect of entertaining hostile guests and with his knowledge of the world was not sure that peace between them could be made in an hour the disposition of those around us often creates an atmosphere nothing tangible but something felt 
and the impression on gregory's mind that he belonged not to this household but to the outside world that the circle of their lives did not embrace him and that his visit might soon come to an end without much regret on their part was not without cause and yet they would have consciously failed in no duty of hospitality had he stayed for weeks but never before had gregory so felt his isolation he had but few relatives and they were not congenial his life abroad and neglect had made them comparative strangers but here in the home of his childhood the dearest spot of earth were those who might become equally loved with it in a dim obscure way the impression was growing upon him that his best chance for life and happiness still centred in the place where he had once known true life and happiness annie walton seemed to him the embodiment of life she was governed and sustained by a principle which he could not understand and which from his soul he was beginning to covet his good father and mother had been like old mr walton their voyage of life was nearly over as he remembered them and they were entering the quiet placid waters of the harbor whether they had reached their haven of rest through storm and temptation he did not know but felt that they never could have had his unfortunate experience or been threatened with utter wreck they belonged to his happier yet vanished past which could never return but annie unexpectedly awakened hope for the present and future this eager-eyed joyous girl looked forward with almost a child's delight to the life he dreaded this patient woman already taking up the cares and burdens of her lot with cheerful acceptance this strong high-principled maiden facing and mastering temptation in the spirit of olden time this daughter of nature was full of inspiration never had he found her society a weariness on the contrary she had stirred his slow feeble pulse and revived his jaded mind from the first her pure fresh thought and feeling had been like a breath from an oasis to one perishing in the desert but chiefly had her kindness delicacy and generosity when in his moral and physical weakness he had been completely at her mercy won his deepest gratitude also he felt that in all his after-life he could never even think of her touch upon his aching temples without an answering thrill of his whole nature that appeared to have an innate sympathy with hers and yet the exasperating mystery of it all while she was becoming the one source of life and hope for him while his very soul cried out for her friendship and sisterly regard as he would then have said she seemed in her preoccupation unconscious of his existence and he instinctively felt that she would bid him good-bye on the following day perhaps with a sense of relief and the current of her life flow on as smoothly and brightly as if he had never caused a passing agitation with gnawing remorse he inwardly cursed his evil life and unworthy character for these he believed formed the hopeless gulf that separated them it is the same he said in his exaggerating way as if a puddle should mirror the star just above it and becoming enamoured should wish it to fall and be quenched in its foul depths but he did himself great wrong for in the fact that annie so attracted him he proved that he possessed large capabilities of good he could not bear to see her sitting there so quietly forgetful of him and so made several vain attempts during the evening to draw her into conversation finding her disinclined to talk he at last ventured to ask her to sing with something like coldness she replied really mr gregory i am not in the mood for it this evening besides i am greatly fatigued what a careless indifferent shrug he usually gave when fair ladies denied his request 
now for some unaccountable reason he flushed deeply and a sharp pain came into his heart but he only said pardon me miss walton for not seeing this myself but you know that i am selfishness embodied and your former good nature leads me to presume annie gave him a hurried smile as she answered another time i will try to keep up my character better and then she was absorbed again in a picture among the hickory coals like many who live in the country and are much alone she was given to fits of abstraction and long reveries she had no idea how the time was passing and meant to exert herself before the evening was over for the benefit of her father and guest but her lively imagination could not endure interruption till it had completed some scenes connected with him she hoped soon to see moreover as we have said the tendency to self-absorption had been developing rapidly after the last rebuff gregory was very quiet and soon rose and excused himself saying that he had taken longer walks than usual and needed rest annie awakened as if out of a dream with a pang of self-reproach and said i have been a wretched hostess this evening i hope you will forgive me the fact is i've been talked out to-day and i had not the wit to entertain and interest you so i need forgiveness more good-night mr walton looked up from his business papers and smiled genially over his spectacles and then was as absorbed as before annie sat down with a vague sense of discontent with their guest her dreams also had gone and she became conscious that she had treated him with almost rude neglect and that he had borne it in a spirit different from that which he usually showed but she petulantly said to herself i can't always be exerting myself for him as if he were a sick child but conscience replied you have so much to make you happy and he so little you are on the eve of a great joy and you might have given him one more pleasant evening but she met these accusations with a harshness all unlike herself it's his own fault that he is not happy he had no business to spoil his life yes retorted conscience but you have promised and purposed to help him find the true life and now you wish him out of the way and have lost one of your best opportunities and perhaps your last for he will not stay after hunting comes and self-condemned she felt that she had spent a very selfish and profitless evening for some reason she did not feel like staying to prayers with her father and miss eulie who now came in but printing a hasty kiss on mr walton's cheek said good night i'm tired and going to bed even in her own room there was a malign influence at work that made her devotional formal and brief and she went to sleep out of sorts End of chapter 20